Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Despite over 100,000 new cases of COVID-19 every day in the U.S., there's real reason for optimism. For one thing, back in January, that number was twice what it is today. I'm optimistic over the long term. Um, I, I certainly wish that um, you know people would um, would get on board with vaccination faster. This week on 880 in depth. We'll hear from two experts in epidemiology who lay out where we are on COVID-19 today and where they think we're headed. I think we have to be very vigilant, um, and I think we shouldn't really be, um, uh, let our guard down for one important reason, is that we still have substantial number of individuals uh, in this country uh, who have not been vaccinated. <laughs> Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Sheld. And if you're like me, you read everything you can about COVID-19 in the hopes of understanding where we are in this pandemic. I see the number of cases going down and I wonder what that means. How long will it last? It's why we got on the phone with two New York experts on COVID-19 to ask them our questions. Up first, Peter Haskell spoke to Dr. Wafa El Sadr, the professor of epidemiology and medicine at the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. We asked her about the drop in the number of daily cases. I think we are seeing a, a decline over time for a couple of reasons. I think um, clearly in um, areas of, um, of the country uh, where there's been um, a, a recent uptake, an increase in uptake of vaccination, that has certainly led to a decrease in the numbers of new infections, and particularly, I think most importantly, decrease in hospitalizations and deaths. And we have seen a bump in terms of uh, vaccination um, in, in several parts of this country, and uh, largely motivated by, of course, the people realizing that there was a surge that was ongoing, as well as uh, a fear of the Delta variant uh, specifically. So it's interesting. We saw a peak in April 2020, another peak in January 2021, and then it seemed the third peak in September 2021. Why do we have this ebb and flow? There are uh, 
there are there can be several reasons for seeing this ebb and flow or different surges in terms of transmission. I think the the peak we saw early in 2021 uh, was largely driven by a couple of factors. One was the um, uh, a lot of travel that occurred around the Thanksgiving and the holiday season in particular. Um, I think also it was um, in addition to that there was also uh, people were indoors most of the time because of the weather, the cold weather in uh, parts of this country. And I think those are the things, the factors that led to that surge that we saw in early 2021. I think on the other hand, the surge that we are in right now is primarily driven by having a variant, the Delta variant, which is highly transmissible, meaning that it's very easy to transmit from one person to another. And I think that's what drove the increase in numbers of cases and the surge we are witnessing now. And that has been largely noted uh, in individuals who are not vaccinated um, as well. There have been a couple of articles that I've seen recently about basically like a two-month cycle of COVID peaks. Have you seen anything about that? And what do you think of it? I think it's, uh, it's, I think it's, it's very difficult and, uh, and maybe um, premature to think of this as cycling uh, uh, based on a, a number of days or calendar months. I think we know for a fact that, for example, the current surge is, is really been driven by uh, an evolution of a variant, the Delta variant, which has very different characteristics, which is highly transmissible. And therefore, once that variant was introduced in a community, particularly an, an unvaccinated community or a community with low vaccination coverage, that's why the variant then was able to be transmitted very rapidly and we experience the surge that we are in at this point in time. That is much more likely to be the reason for the surge rather than a two-month interval between prior and current surge. Should we be concerned about another Delta surge or a different strain of the virus? I think we have to be very vigilant, um, and I think we shouldn't really be um, uh, let our guard down for one important reason is that we still have substantial number of individuals uh, in this country uh, who have not been vaccinated. And so long as we have unvaccinated uh, members of our community, they are likely to be exactly the setting where any introduction of a new variant is likely to result in a cluster and then in a new surge uh, with this virus. And this is why it is so important for people to be uh, eager and willing to get vaccinated. Uh, and also, importantly, that's why we should also be thinking about how we can uh, do what we need to do to be able to vaccinate the rest of the world. In, in terms of people who are not vaccinated, you know, we've got this push with vaccine mandates that convince a lot of people to get a shot. The flip side is, I'm curious if people really dig in their heels, the people who aren't sure, who don't want the shot, does their, do they harden their resistance in the face of a mandate? Yeah, I think we, are, we, are, we realize that with a mandate, you, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, and you are going to get people who will be motivated by a mandate to go and get vaccinated, and we've seen it. I think when people realize that 
uh, their job is dependent on getting vaccinated, then they stop and they think and they realize that, uh, yes, it's, um, it's quite um, important for them to get vaccinated because essentially they feel that there's an important benefit there, which is that they can retain their, their, their employment. Uh, at the same time, there are those who uh, feel that this is, um, uh, in a way, motivates them in the opposite direction of being more resistant to getting vaccinated. And in essence, we don't know how it's going to balance out between those who, you know, go and get vaccinated versus those who become resistant to getting vaccinated. But what we know is that these mandates have been largely focused on individuals who are in situations where there's a high risk of transmission of the virus, for example, healthcare workers or um, teachers and staff at schools, for example. And therefore, getting those types of populations vaccinated is very important, not just for their own health and their own protection, uh, but also for the protection of the people that they interact with, whether they be patients or children in the schools. And, and other uh, individuals that they uh, congregate with on a day-in, day-out basis. There are some companies that have either imposed vaccine mandates or are thinking about it. Is it a good idea for a company to do that? What do you think? I think it's a, I think there are people, and when we've done, there have been a lot of surveys that have been done to try to get at why are people um, uh, hesitant about getting vaccinated. And one of the, you know, and what we've learned is in several of these surveys, people do indicate as one of the reasons they might decide to get vaccinated is if their job mandates it. So it certainly is one of the factors that often people point to. Uh, so this means that have that actually when employers require vaccination, uh, those individuals will then be willing to get vaccinated. And I think we should really celebrate every step along the way and that any incremental increase in the numbers of people who are willing to get vaccinated is a wonderful victory for them as well as for all of us as well. We had one other question for Dr. El Sader. What about people who say they don't need the vaccine? They've already gotten COVID and they believe the natural immunity they have from that is protection enough? I think what I tell people who've had COVID who, who think that they are don't need the vaccine is that we do have data. We have studies that have shown that even among people who've had COVID, that when they get vaccinated, they are better protected against, against getting COVID again. Uh, I think that's very reassuring. Um, and, and, and again, and we have no evidence that for someone who's had COVID that getting the vaccine uh, has more side effects in them. So it's safe, and at the same time, you're getting extra protection uh, from the vaccine. We also have recently also data that show that people who've been vaccinated are also, when they, even if they get infected, if they get COVID, they're less likely to have long COVID, you know, these kinds of chronic symptoms that people have been experiencing after a COVID episode. So I think both of these, uh, of these facts should motivate people who even people who've had COVID, to be interested and willing and eager to get vaccinated. Dennis Nash is a professor of epidemiology at the City University School of Public Health. 
He spent his career studying infectious diseases and researching to find ways we might be able to learn from the past. At the moment, he heads a team of researchers at CUNY's Institute for Implementation Science and Population Health. They call their work Chasing COVID. Peter Haskell wanted to know right out of the box. What have we learned about COVID over the past 19 months? Uh, well, I mean, one very big thing we've learned is that, um, you know, there are, we, we can, um, you know, do some very fundamental basic things to stop spread and if we really need to. And that includes, you know, lockdown and, and mass quarantine. Um, so we, we, if, if we, we also know that, um, we have been able to absorb some fairly significant surges in community transmission and not see the big increases in hospitalizations and that would have come along with them prior before, prior to um, you know vaccination coverage being so high so I would say that we are in a, we're in a very good place um, on the way and we really do have a lot of knowledge at our fingertips that we can deploy to you know reduce the impact of the virus and subsequent surges I would say things that we have learned that um, you know we or things that we should have learned. <laughs> Um, is that, um, you know, there would be a role for testing for quite a long time after the vaccine became available. And I think we find ourselves now in a place where there's just not enough um, free and cheap rapid tests that people can use at home to keep each other safe. Um, I really think that was a missed opportunity, and I, I hope that that changes. I hope that we're ready to not repeat that same mistake when the next pandemic comes. I also think we've learned a lot about um, uh, what not to do around how to communicate um, about risk, how to communicate about, you know, what people need to do um, in order to keep themselves and others safe. Um, There's there's been a lot of missteps there, and I think there's a lot of confusion out there um, still because of that. I want to ask you about testing. If I'm going out and about in the world around the city. I've got kids who are going out and about. Should we be buying these uh, home testing kits and doing that routinely? I really do wish that more of these test kits were available. Um, I I do think they can be useful to, um, you know, to help reduce just one additional thing that that people can do to help reduce the risk. Um, Let's say, you know, you need to get uh, together with older family members who you're worried, maybe they're vaccinated, but you're worried nonetheless about um, exposing them. Um, people can take a rapid test over the course of a day or two or three, and um, those negative results can help um, you know reassure you that you're not posing a risk um, to to those vulnerable family members. Just for example. If people are are digging in their heels in the face of a mandate, how do, how do we convince those people, or can we? Um, I'm not sure. There's much that can be done beyond you know what I think we've seen happening around the state and around the country um, by you know requiring vaccines for um, certain works, certain kinds of occupations, um, and I, I see that even private employers are beginning to do to do this. Um, you know, at, at some point, um, you, you can't you can't force people to do what they're they're not going to do, and and they may even it may be even so important to them to to not be vaccinated that they would 
um, you know, stand to lose a job or um, otherwise not be able to participate in, in society for quite a while until this, this pandemic is, is um, this threat of the pandemic is, is passed. It seems the vaccine has become just another wedge issue. What is the danger of vaccines being politicized, and how do you think that's playing out now? Oh, well, you know, I, it, I'm just an epidemiologist, so let's just catch my comments on that. I'm not a politician, but I will say that it does seem that, um, you know, politicians um, on both sides have, um, but especially on the Republican side, have, have really um, taken the opportunity to leverage the pandemic to their own for their own uh, gains, power gains and political gains. And um, I, I think, um, you know, public health has always been something that is um, inherently political, um, but I've never seen it on this scale. And I think it's really, really quite unfortunate. It, it, it seems to me that there are some, some very important structural changes to the way that our country and our states and cities respond to public health threats that need to really make them immune to um, what are really sort of dangerous political forces out, out there. You know, we all see this all the time. People are saying, my body, my choice. Explain if you could. The difference between public health that you just mentioned and private health. Yeah, well, the way I um, think about it is, is that, um, you know, the, when, when, when what you do influences the health and safety of other people around you, not just your family, um, and th- things that happen with your body um, actually affect other people. And, and this is certainly the case with infectious diseases and a lot of other things. But um, and, and we have you know very um, very clear laws around these kinds of things that have been used in public health emergencies. The rule of thumb in my book is that, you know, of course, you know, pri- private privilege is something very, you know, valued um, in our country and individual uh, liberties and all that. But um, the laws clearly state that private privilege ends where public peril begins, which is a, a quote from a public health legal scholar um, and colleague of mine that I like to, to pull out in these situations. Private, private privilege ends where public peril begins. I think that's something that our political leaders need to embrace and um, and really, you know, live by. It, it seems there are more places that are requiring masks and vaccines, theaters and restaurants and things like that. For how long do you think we're going to need these measures in place? I think that these measures are going to need to be in place. Um, well, I think, first of all, um, just because you require vaccination does not mean that it's not going to, um, it does not mean that there's no risk associated with spread of the virus. So I'll just say that. And one of the reasons why we have these requirements and mandates is to encourage people to get vaccinated so that they can, you know, participate in society. Um, but um, I, I think that we're going to be living with these kinds of things until we get to a place where we can confidently absorb a surge in in virus transmission in the community without major increases in hospitalizations and deaths and that that could be that could be um you know a few months to 
you know, a year from now, um, depending on how much coverage we get with the vaccine. The fact that children 5 to 11 will likely be able to get the shot soon, how Mm -hmm. significant is that going to be? I think it's going to be very significant. Um, I I, I think um, this is something that I think a lot of parents worry about. I I have an 11-year-old myself who's not yet vaccinated because she's not eligible, and um, it's one of the things that I, I think is most concerned and cautious when I'm out, out in the world, and I will feel a lot better after she's, she's vaccinated about doing other things like, you know, going to the office, going to restaurants, um, and things like that, and bringing her to those kinds of places, too. One other question we had for Dr. Nash. I'm curious about what did we learn from the holidays last year, and, and what do you expect this year? Um, we did see, we did see, um, you know, slight changes in increases in transmission associated with, um, like, uh, Halloween and, and the Jewish holidays and Thanksgiving and, and things like that, but not the surges um, that we've seen with Delta. And so I, I think, you know, it's anybody's guess right now. Um, what will happen because Delta is such a different animal. And so that, that, that is why I think I say that we're in a very precarious place right now. We, we, we could see um, something different this year because we have a new variant that's much more transmissible. And, and just finally, what is your sense about the future? Are you pessimistic, optimistic, someplace in between? What do you think? I'm optimistic over the long term. Um, I, I certainly wish that, um, you know, people would um, would get on board with vaccination faster. I, I certainly wish that our, our political leaders were more um, t- thinking more holistically about how to reduce risk um, over the long haul while we try to get people vaccinated. I think it's taking a lot longer than they anticipated and they had no game plan for that. Um, so, but I, I am optimistic. It's just a question of how long it's going to be before the whole of society feels comfortable moving on. Thanks to these two smart scientists, Dr. Nash and Dr. El Sadr. 880 in depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. The executive producers are myself, Tim Scheld, and Peter Haskell, with production and editorial help from our friend Dempsey Pilat. Thank you for listening. Subscribe where you find your audio. Just search 880 in depth and please tell a friend. Thank you, and as always, please be safe. Star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.